At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, welcome back, you hardworking HVACers. So we have a very open and candid conversation about business ownership, HVAC and refrigeration business ownership. We got myself, who's new to that, uh, Jamie Christensen, who's on the podcast, unfortunately kind of slipped off because of his signal. He was driving. He's a new business owner as well, and he's only on. He's he only got a, a, about a minute or so of talk time before he dropped off. It's unfortunate. Him and I will do another podcast on new business ownership at a later date. So Nathan Moore, he's been in business for a few years and he's got some stories to tell about how he began with zero dollars and scary times. And then we got Tim DeStacio who is, listen, he just sold his business, operated it for many years and just sold it. So we have quite a range of experiences within this, this one podcast. So we're going to get to this, guys. Listen up, pay attention. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and now they have their own high-end ductless split brand that they sell exclusively. It's, it's made for them, and they sell exclusively. It's called Move Air, so M-O-O-V-A-I-R. And I am trying to set up myself as a dealer and we might be doing a very cool project together where we're going to go out to a site and we're going to have a videographer and we're going to create a video on it's going to be like a how-to and stuff like that on on how to put these things in so it should be pretty cool so ask your local master rep about move air and becoming a dealer and also check out master.ca this podcast is also sponsored by cintas and my next door neighbor who's a blue collar worker as well uh, in the dock door business his his uniforms for, the, for his company were provided by Cintas, and at the end of the week, they would just throw the uniforms in, in a bucket at the shop, and the next week or a few days later, they'd come back clean and, and on on hangers, and he didn't have to do laundry at home, which is a pretty cool service that they provide. So if you guys are interested in providing uniforms for your team through Cintas, check out the landing page we got going. It is Cintas.com forward slash HVAC know it all. And I'll leave that link in the podcast notes as well. Welcome to the HVAC know it all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada, your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, gentlemen, third time uh, getting this going. Jamie, I'm glad you're with us. Jamie is remote, so everybody knows. So he's in his truck with all the the HVAC truck sounds in the background. Now, we're going to talk about something that is important to me because I just started my own business. Jamie just started his own business. It was actually Jamie's idea to have a podcast about uh, new business owners. And I thought I'd throw in Tim, who just sold his business, and Nathan, who's been running a business now for about 10 years or so. So what I wanted to do, Jamie, was get everybody's ideas and thoughts 
on why they started their own business. Tim started, and I'm going to give him uh, the, the graces of, of uh, the HVAC gods to let him start again. So, Tim, you go ahead. Yeah, so I started getting the, the thoughts about starting my own business probably 2009 or so. Um, and I went ahead and got my HVAC license, which would allow me to start my own business. But the reasons of doing that is I, I started getting all these ideas of how a business, uh, HVAC business could be ran or should be ran, how employees should be treated, how customers should be treated. And I just, I had to try it because I was trying to suggest those things at my job and it was really falling upon deaf ears, which is fine. Um, but it was just turning into a situation where I just, once you get that bug where you want to start your own business and give it a shot, as you well know, you, you just got to go for it. Yeah, you do. Uh, Nathan, do you remember back to when and why? Yeah, and very similar to Tim. Very, uh, I was getting a lot of promptings early of uh, trying something on my own. And uh, just the way the employer I was working for, the way they conducted themselves, uh, how customers were treated... Um, how employees were being treated, uh, there, I thought there could be a better way of doing it. And uh, I thought it was, hey, I'm young, I might as well do it. So uh, yeah, took uh, took the stab at it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's that makes sense. Everybody thinks they can do something a little bit better. And uh, Jamie, was that maybe one of your reasons? You thought you could just do do it better, maybe, possibly? Yeah, I mean, basically, exactly what Tim and Nathan, you know, had mentioned it was the same reasons that I decided to start a business because I thought I could do better. I, I never really worked for a company that treated employees bad, but, uh, you know, it was more for on like the customer service side of things. Like everywhere I worked, they take care of the customers, but it was always a lot of customers that would, you know, kind of get pushed to the side like they're not as important as other customers and it just that never sat well with me you know what i mean i just always thought no matter how big or small everybody should everybody's got their time timing is 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 key to this because if you do it at the wrong time you're not ready it's going to be a it's going to be a disaster and and for me i just saw so much opportunity and i'm thinking to myself why am i why am I working for someone else when I, I have the confidence and the abilities to really do something on my own and not just create financial freedom, but create freedom in general to do what I want to do, the work I want to do, the, the, the machinery that I would like to install the way I'd like to install it. There's just so many factors that go into it. And it was really opportunity and freedom. Those two words uh, are the two that jump out at me when I think about why I started. Uh, Tim, I'll come back to you. Does, does that, does, is, is any of those two reasons like sit with you well or, or, or not? L l give me your thoughts. Yeah, definitely the freedom. Um, you know, if you run a business the right way, you should have financial freedom. It should, you know, especially our business, it should be a lucrative business. Um, then freedom of time. That's, um, I, I remember at a time when I thought I was going to have freedom of time when I first started my business and um, there for a while I did not. And you have to work hard to get that. It is possible. And it's a good goal to have and set that goal. 
Um, but it's very easy to kind of get off track there. But definitely those two goals resonated with me, especially the freedom of time, being able to devote more time to things that you want to do other than work. Mm-hmm. Now, Nathan, I'll get to you with this, but what I, I do want to throw in there is, is that I kind of have two things that I do here is, is in the field stuff and then the podcasting and the website and working with different manufacturers to, to provide some education and, and awareness of their, their tools and stuff. So I, I had that, um, which kind of gave me some resources to the, the contacts, uh, just so many different resources that I created. And this is all from on, on online presence, which, which is imagine 15 years ago saying, yeah, um, I'm going to create an online presence and, and it's going to catapult me or put me to a level I want to be at to go and start my own business. I would have been laughed at. But I took I seen I seen those things and I seen the advantages and and some opportunities from that. And I went all in. I took the the uh, advice of Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, if you guys know him, is if you're half decent at something, double down, go all in and just just go for it. And that's what I did. And I created some resources where it gave me uh, kind of like a a line to walk, I guess, where one day I can go in the field. Yep. If I'm not busy in the field, I can stay at home and I can write an article or, or produce a podcast or something like that. So I'm always busy back and forth, back and forth. So Nathan, I got to ask you, was there any built up resources, um, contacts, financial resources, assets, anything like that before you went on your own or did you just go for it? And, and that was it. Yeah. So great question, Gary. Um, I didn't come from, I had $0 in my bank account when I started. I had a three month old first child and uh, that's how I got started. It was a 2003 Chevy white truck that I was bombing around uh, going to customers and looking after that. Uh, banks wouldn't look at me to give me a truck right off the snap. So it was about the third time my truck broke down in a customer's parking lot that I got it towed that finally I got a new truck. Uh, so the finances was built up from scratch for, for myself and especially because I wasn't willing to put liquidate or use my house as a leverage item. I wanted them two separate entities. Um, so the banks didn't really like you. I can remember walking into suppliers and having a $1,500 bill and I'd have to swipe the visa for 500 bucks, call the bank and say, clear off, <laughs> clear off that visa and then do that three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, within saying that, I had a reputation in the, new, the industry through suppliers and because uh, I've been around the industry for a, for a while. Um, so I got a lot of grace within that. And uh, the resources too were customers and people from different communities that knew me that gave me opportunities to show them what I could do for them. Awesome. Yeah. Starting at $0, man, that you're, you're a brave man. You got some balls for, for, for yeah, doing definitely. that because that's uh that's, that's a scary time. Um, so I want to move the conversation to cash flow because we just talked about money a little bit. So obviously we need some cash flow in a business in order to go buy equipment, uh, go buy uh, parts, anything or that we need to, unless we're setting up accounts at suppliers. And what I found is some suppliers, you, you go in to fill out their, uh, their, their form to set up an account and they're asking for references from other suppliers. I'm like, well, you're the first, I, I don't have any other references. Like, so even that I'm finding, it, I, I found it difficult. 
So cash flow is, is majorly huge. And there's a bonus to residential customers where you get paid pretty much on the spot if you tell them up front, hey, like this job is, you're paying me when I'm done, whatever, how, how you pay, credit card, cash, check, whatever. Um, with commercial, I'm doing, I'm kind of going in between with commercial and resi because I'm doing some, so I've done some subcontracting work and they don't pay you right away. Like sometimes it's, it's 60 days, 45 days, 90 days, whatever their payment terms are, you're sitting there waiting for that money. So, I mean, that startup seed money is, will take some of that stress off. And Nathan, back to you, man, like the, the $0 thing that would scare the hell out of me. So you must've had, uh, been working your ass off to just get that cash flow going off the bat. Right. Yeah. And, and exactly that, right. When you get into your commercial customers, they can take forever to pay you. Uh, so yes, residential, you, <laughs> that was uh, the cash flow king. Um, just to make sure you had enough money to keep the lights on in the house and food mm-hmm. on the table um, while being wise with your money. Uh, you know, especially at the very start, uh, going into debt, and you, you, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, uh, you know, you want to get your trucks paid off. You want to get your tools paid off. You want to have those assets paid off, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the very beginning so that cash flow is easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So, and, and, tip, sorry, sorry, go on. Go on, Nathan. Yeah. And just one thing when you talk about the suppliers, once I had that account, mm-hmm. if they gave me a thousand bucks or $2,000 or whatever that small increment was, as soon as it came up that 30 days that the supplier gave you that invoice, I paid it that day. And that gives you a lot of track record and faith with, with that supplier mm-hmm. so that you become an A plus customer in their, their mind. Yeah, for sure, man. So, I guess, Tim, you had, you did mainly residential, right? Or was it like all residential or just a certain percentage? Was it residential? No. So the company that I worked for is actually an industrial company. Oh, okay. And so when I first started out, uh, while I was still working with them, they didn't touch residential. And so, uh, and they weren't even savvy enough to make me sign any kind of non-competes or anything when I worked there. Um, and they kind of looked the other way when guys did side work, as long as it wasn't commercial or, in, you know, stuff that they would do. So I just started doing residential work for friends and family. Well, not family, but friends, because uh, I don't have any family in this area, but just people that I knew and word of mouth. Um, that's how I got started. Um, and I started doing that just on the weekends or in the evenings. And I kept you know, everything separated. I never did any work in the company truck or anything like that. Anything, everything was above board. Um, but you know, I, I think especially for somebody who's working for a commercial company, if, you know, if it, if it seems like it's the right thing to do that you're not going to get in trouble or it doesn't seem unethical, then, you know, start off with residential that, that does help you with cash flow. Um, and just regarding some of that other stuff, even with commercial, there's nothing wrong with knowing that you're going to have to be the bank for a commercial customer and banks charge interest rates. Now you don't have to tell them that you're charging them three to 5% more, mm-hmm. but that's what you're doing. And you can even tell them, look, if, if you give me, you know, if I can swipe a company credit card today, the same day, I'll give you a 5% discount, man. 
And you'd be surprised, especially now that credit cards are being used more and more than maybe they were 10 to 15 years ago in commercial. That is, that's huge. Um, now, of course, you're going to pay that credit card fee, so you're going to give them a 3% back. So make the math work. But don't let companies bully you <laughs> into being mm-hmm. their bank. Make mm-hmm. sure they pay the price for you being their bank. And that's something I learned the hard way. But if we're talking to new business owners, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. I didn't even think about that. I I didn't even think about that. So yeah, if you're if you're waiting um, ninety days to get paid, I mean that's that's yeah. a long time, right? Very very long right. time. And and I ask you about resi because re- residential, as Nathan said, is like the cash king. It's like the cash Absolutely. flow king. Like you you, yeah. you do a job, you get paid, and you move on. So that's why I think anybody right. that that starts a business, I think doing a lot of residential upfront to grow that cash flow yep. and just put some money in the bank is a good way to do it. Even if your main goal is to be uh, commercial, industrial, and you got no cash flow, you start from scratch zero, yeah. doing all these residential jobs for friends, family, word of mouth here and there, and banging in a, a split here, there, it it drives your cash flow right up really, really quick, I think. Right. And even supply houses, you know, I, of course, eventually I got credit accounts at all the supply houses, but that first initial, when you, no one really knows you or, you know, you, you can't really get the the credit at first, just get a company credit card, you know, start mm-hmm. a business checking account, that company credit mm-hmm. card comes with it and just use that credit card. You got 30 days to pay it off. Yeah. Your supply house sees you pay it immediately. That counts for credit. At least it did in, in my area. Mm-hmm. And now you got 30 days to pay it. So, you know, maybe you don't get paid that same day, but you don't have to worry about forking over cash at the that's a supply house. Take advantage of those credit cards. Just make sure you pay it. Don't pay that interest on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So keeping to one sec, I don't think Jamie's coming back. Anybody that's yeah. listening, guys, Jamie, uh, he got booted a couple of times because of his signal. So I don't think he's coming back, but um, we'll get on with Jamie and him and I'll discuss new business ownership uh, probably in the next few months, I would say. But anyway, so let's keep the conversation to money, but change the subject a little bit because people that are trying to make money in business, especially in the trades, there's different ways to price things. And we don't have to get into calculations and and all that kind of jazz. But I heard a conversation the other day and it was regarding markup or, or, um, or profit margin. How are we going to price our jobs? Because you can sit there and mark up every part or you can calculate your cost for the job and then say, Hey, listen, I want to make this much profit on it and bump the whole job up by that much. How do you guys go about, Nathan, I'll start with you. How do you go about uh, building out quotes and pricing? All right. It's that time again where we pay the bills here. So a couple of codes that we have for you guys to use at your leisure. One is at True Tech Tools. You're going to save 8% on your purchase with promo code or coupon code KNOWITALL. It applies to most things in their store. So coupon code KNOWITALL. It's spelled K-N-O-W-I-T-A-L-L. Use that at checkout to save 8% on your purchase. The other code we got for for you guys is from emotorsdirect.ca. They're Canadian-based. I mean, they do ship to the U.S. as well, but it's mostly Canadians that can take advantage of this, is what I understand, uh, because the proximity is not as far and it doesn't cost as much to send. Anyway, if you want to order a motor, basically to your job site, to your home, so you can head out the next day from your home, or wherever you're going, instead of having to go to the supplier to pick it up, so on and so forth, you can use emotorsdirect.ca to order the motor. You apply 
promo code HVAC know it all, you're going to save 8% on your purchase. So check those out. So JB Warranties, uh, JB Warranties, they provide warranty programs outside the OEM's warranty, not just for parts, but for also labor as well. So it gives a customer peace of mind and it also gives the owner of the business peace of mind that he's not going to be out of pocket or she's not going to be out of pocket when they have to pay their techs to go out and fix stuff because the labor is included within that warranty program from JB Warranties, which is pretty cool. So if you're in the market for a warranty program such as this, like beyond OEM and providing uh, labor and all that, uh, check out JB Warranties, guys. The other thing we're going to discuss here quickly is company cam. Now I see uh, a post coming through my Facebook feed from company cam and some people say, well, my phone can take pictures and images and I can save them to, to different, uh, I guess, albums and stuff like that. So here's what, how company cam differs from that. So when you take a picture, when you have a voice memo, a video, uh, a memo, like a written memo, they all go to one job in the cloud. So if you're at a big job called, a uh, big duck job, let's say, let's say it's a big j- duck job. And that's what, that's what it's called. For example, here now, anybody that's on that job, let's say there's a crew of five. Okay. Let's say there's an engineer. Let's say there is a, let's say there's a manager, an install manager going down there. All those people, if they take pictures, if they take voice memos, videos of that job and put it in that that big duck job file on company cam, they all go there. It doesn't take up space on your phone and anybody that wants access to it can find out the progress and all the images and stuff. And not only that, but for the history going back and just in case there's any problems, you have all of this stuff in one place and it's easy to find. There's no emails, there's no pictures back and forth, texts and all that kind of stuff. That's what company cam does. So check them out guys. Yeah. So the first number that you need to know is, uh, your break-even cost. And what I mean by that is what it costs for you to be in business. Mm-hmm. For you to put on your boots in the morning, what does it cost for you to get out to that truck and drive to your customer? So that's your cell phone bill, gas, trucks, all that kind of information. So is that 10%? Is that 20% of a dollar? What what does that look like? So you sell something for a dollar, you're losing 20 cents on it mm-hmm. if, if you just sell for a dollar. Um, so to break even you need to sell that part for $1.20. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first number that you have to be very, very aware of because, you know, if your break-even is 25 points and you're marking up everything at 30 points, your profit's only going to be 5%, mm-hmm. roughly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think we make that mistake a lot because, especially up in Ontario right now, our gas prices are all over the place. So how do you make sure that you're calculating that cost associated for every kilometer. Um, so I, I base mine on profit and within after your break even. So it's, okay. it's just not. Gotcha. Yeah. The price of gas, man is, is crazy. Like Tim, what's the price of gas? Like where you're at? Uh, we got close to $5 a gallon here. Uh, then now it's about four fifty-five here in North Carolina, but I mean, we're, I mean, it's, it's a lot higher in California and other States. And what was it a year ago com- in comparison? I would say a year ago it was right at three. Oh, wow. And That's a huge two to jump. three years ago. It was at two. Yeah. Two fifty maybe. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So 
it was nathan because we don't do ours here in um in gallons or ours is per liter oh that's right um so it's it's you'd have to sit down and do the conversion or whatever but uh we're at around two dollars give or take per liter right now uh some places are like a buck 95 then you go like you literally drive 10 minutes down the road and they're like two two dollars and three cents you're like what's going on here like it's all over the place uh, but I'd say about a year ago, in comparison, we were at maybe like a buck forty. Nathan, would you say buck forty around there? Yeah, somewhere? yeah, yeah. So, so over year over year, my gas price is up sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that brings us to like a, a truck. Like we're kind of going down this in a nice little way. We're we're trying to build out um, kind of how we're, our money is flowing here. And one of the reasons we we look at this is because of the price of gas. So. Is it better to do a truck charge that includes maybe you go 10 kilometers, your truck charge is 80 bucks, let's say, for example, and it more than covers it. But the next day you drive 100 kilometers, maybe you lose out, but in the grand scheme, it kind of equals out. Or do you guys maybe do per, per mile or per kilometer type charges for, for fuel? Uh, Tim, I'll start with you. What did you do when, when you were owning uh, the company you, you just sold? I had a flat diagnostic trip rate. So that flat fee paid for, um, I made money and, and my, my area was about a 20 to 30 mile radius around, you know, the center of, of the city okay. that, I, that I worked out of Greensboro. So I was working a relatively short area, but my flat rate included, made sure that I made I paid for those expenses plus the labor to send me or another technician out and to diagnose the system, you know, spend about 45 minutes diagnosing it. So, um, you know, not to get into real dollars now because, you know, I haven't been in business for a while and things were a lot higher than they were even in February when I sold, but, you know, you should never lose out, I guess. You don't, start developing that mentality well i'll make money on this one but i'll lose on this one you should never lose money <laughs> yeah you know if you cut if you keep with that mentality you'll be fine and maybe you have to if you cover a lot of you know if, if your radius is a lot bigger maybe it's it's tier based so you know if, if the job is within 20 miles of just pick a point in the center of your town i, I picked the airport in my town um, and if it's within 20 miles of that, and then if we did go out farther, which we did, then I had another flat rate for that next ring and then the next ring and, and make sure you're also paying for your labor to drive because those, that labor is missed time. You could be making money somewhere else. So don't just think about the, the direct cost. Your time is one of the most important assets that you have. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to say, bring up a very good example as, as your drive time counts because uh, today I was at uh, a home probably about an hour from me and I was installing a central air system, just a small two ton unit by myself. And I couldn't, I can't believe how, how much work it is to do by yourself. It's, it's crazy anyway. Um, so they're like, can you remove, cause they had an old ductless unit before they had ductwork put in to this home many, many years ago. So this ductless unit, they're like, can you take that out? And I said, yeah, that's fine. I said, if I have time to take it out, throw a couple hundred bucks onto the bill and I'll take it out. Cause all I had to do basically was recover the gas, cut the line, line set and take it away. And pretty much that was it, but I didn't have time. And I said, if I'm coming back, it's not $200 anymore. I said, because I got to drive back here. I got to drive home again and I got to spend time doing it. So the price has gone up. 
And I said, it's up to you guys if, if you want to do it that way. So I truly believe that time is your, is your most prized asset that anybody has. And if you're not being compensated for your time, then, then what are we, what are we even doing here? Nathan, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, uh, I've always said that I'm really good at my job. I don't need the practice at it. Um, yeah. so, uh, and, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, and there's always time and a place to help out somebody, but at the end of it, it's, you need to look out for your company, mm-hmm. uh, because if you're not in business in five years, you're not there to help anybody else, uh, for, for future problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Cor- cor- correct. So I, I want to come back to this truck charge thing because Nathan, I don't know, cause I didn't ask you that question. It seems that in this area, everybody I talk to that's in business, it's a truck charge. It's not a, 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 a charge per kilometer. What do you do within your business? Yeah. So, so I do a truck charge uh, because it's predictable results on how many calls I do a year. So I know I have to replace a truck every four years. So mm-hmm. I need to build in that price right now for the future. And, okay. you know, if you've seen what the van costs are now, uh, trucks have gone way up as well. So you have to kind of build that into now. So in four years, when that truck goes, it's, it's paid for. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we put in a, we have a, a truck charge for every single ticket that's made. Obviously, if a guy's on site doing six rooftops or something along those lines and six broken tickets, we're not charging them a truck charge per per ticket. However, um, it's just there so the ladies in the office can get that invoiced out as fast as possible. It's just a standard number on our, our invoices. Yeah. And, and it's, I'll be totally honest with you. I've talked to about five business owners in this area and everybody's truck truck charge is a little bit different and it's it's really odd and i think that um i think i might be on the lower end of that and because as a new business owner i'm like i I didn't know where to put myself but i kind of talked to a few people and i i I got a number and i'm like okay i'll start here but after talking to more people uh i think my truck charge is going to increase maybe 15 (laughs) percent because it needs to be where it needs to be like you said because of the price of vehicles the, the price of gas, the, the price of maintaining a vehicle has also gone up because, you know, just getting parts to uh, the dealership has gone up because of the price of gas. So everything has risen because of that. So another 10 or 15% is is my truck charge will be increasing as well because of all this. Um, I don't know, Tim, does does that fall in line with, because your, your, your charge, you said that, it's a diagnostic fee that includes that. So does that sort of include what Nathan was saying about in four years, you got to buy another truck type thing is, is that all included in that sort of initial fee built into it? Yeah. So the diagnostic fee behind the scenes, let's just pick a round number. Not that this was my number. Let's pick a round number of a hundred dollars. In the, in the background, you know, 25 or $35 of that paid for the truck. The other sixty-five would pay for the technician. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, hundred dollars is really low. I'm just using it as mm-hmm. a round number. Yeah. But so in the background, in my QuickBooks accounting, that's what it was broken into. So the twenty-five dollars to pay for the truck went into a bucket, and that that you know all those truck fees for all the jobs that we did, every time any tasks that we did, 
unless it was like a capacitor or a contactor that we had on the truck that we were going to put on that same day. Anything else, even a motor, I might stock the motor, might not. A compressor, definitely not. But everything I knew I needed to be able to pay for, not only that truck, but also the the capital investment later on to, to, to replace it. So at the end of however many years, I would look back and see, okay, how much money did I make? How much money did my vehicles cost me? So I was also tracking how much insurance, gas, repairs, all that stuff, and then the eventual replacement. The fact of the matter is, if you're if you're really only looking for that truck fee to be the only thing that pays for your truck, your truck fee is going to be huge, especially mm-hmm. nowadays, yeah. right? So capital investments really are you know, they, they come from other buckets, you know, whatever you charge for labor, whatever you're um, charging as a markup or, you know, however you're charging extra for your cost of goods sold. All those things for me collectively paid for capital investments, big ticket items like trucks and, and major tools. Um, but you want to make sure that you understand those costs, not only your direct cost, but your capital investments later on. Those are all costs that you have to consider when you think about overhead. Even though you didn't spend that dollar today, you know you're going to spend it later. So when you're figuring out what your overhead is, like what Nathan was talking about, what it costs for you to put your boots on, turn the lights on in your business every day, you've got to also factor in growth, uh, inflation, and other goals that you're having. It's not just a direct cost, the bills that come in the mail. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's a lot to think about. And anybody that's thinking about building their own business now, this is, this is a good conversation to be listening to. Now, I want to move off money for a minute. And I want to talk mm-hmm. about, I want to talk about help. Uh, the, the skills, uh, trade, the, the, the skills gap and, and whatnot. And th- we're kind of in a, an odd time right now. And this is one of the, when I talked about starting a business and seeing opportunities, one of the opportunities that I've seen, and I'll talk about how this affects finding help and, and helpers and apprentices and all that. One of the opportunities that I've seen was I go through my LinkedIn feed and it seems like almost every company out there in, in the area needs techs. It's like, we need two techs. We need, we need plumbers. We need this. We need that. And nobody, and you see these ads constantly. So it's not like they're getting anybody or they're getting people and they're not satisfactory. So the opportunity that I seen was, hey, if I start my own business, pick up the phone. Hey, I see you need text. Obviously, you're overworked. How about I ease the pain for you as a subcontractor a little bit? And I've had some bites on that. As I was telling you guys, I've been doing some subcontracting work for commercial companies. And it, it's been, it's been kind of cool to do that, to be honest with you, because they're not my customers. So it's not like if something goes wrong, I get called out that night they're going to do their own calls for their own customers. I might just be involved in an aspect of a job or a series of jobs or something like that. So I saw this opportunity. Now, I say this because going forward, I'm going to be using a buddy of mine and his helper potentially in a couple of weeks to come on a job that I'm quoting for a 10 head uh, city multi-system because I don't have any apprentices or helpers. So I didn't really build that into the cost, but hey, I need to get it done because originally I was told that I I could have an apprentice, um, which is going to happen because the the person that gave me the job, they're like, hey, I'll give you my apprentice. But the scope of the job just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I had a feeling that maybe his apprentice wasn't available for this, this entire job. So I reached out to a buddy and I said, hey, 
Um, I know you're going to charge me full rate, but if I need a hand, are you available? And he's like, yes. So I didn't build his rate into the job, but at the end of the day, I need to get the job done. I'll still profit off it. I'll still make some good money on the job because he'll be coming out to help me here and there. But what do you guys think about the, this gap, finding people and maybe using subs as a way to ease the pain a little bit? Nathan, I'll start with you there. Yeah. So my track record with being a subcontractor right off the snap wasn't a really good one. Um, okay. Uh, because I'm very much in a, you know, branding is a big thing for me, right? I would always put my mm-hmm. name on the truck hat and those different types of things. And there's a lot of different contractors that would have issues. Um, you rolling up there with a different name on the, their truck. And as we grew as a company to communicate that, to your tax as well, that you're not going there as our company, you're there as a rep- representative of another company, it gets very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my philosophy with help has always been grassrooting them um, as, as they come right into the trade and train them up. And, uh, and if they're not working out, you move on to the next young individual or the next individual and uh, move them through the ranks that way. Mm-hmm. Have you had luck with that? Yes. Because I I agree with you that I think that grabbing uh, somebody that shows potential, like a kid right out of high school or shows potential, they don't need to know anything, but they they listen, they're driven, uh, they want to learn. I think that is the best way to to take someone and show them the way that you want to do things. Because I find there's just too many techs out there. You hire them eight years in or like, for example, and they just got a lot of bad habits and you can't get rid of the bad habits. Right. So I agree with you, but getting someone green comes with a lot of investment, time, money, because they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I mean, you might send them on a call and and you're having dinner and now you got to go help them because they can't figure it out type thing. So there's a lot of pain and investment, time and money that comes with uh, grassroots. So Tim, I'm going to throw that one at you. Yeah, I definitely think grassroots or training somebody from the ground up is better than trying to hire somebody that with experience, but then you just hire somebody with a bunch of bad habits. Because mm-hmm. I think we all know that this industry is is filled with you know guys that have learned bad habits, guys that are unteachable, guys that have it's not ten years of experience, it's one year of experience ten times over. So, but you're you're still paying them for a ten year like a ten year tech. Um, you know, being an employer was the hardest part of me being a business owner. It is the number one reason why I decided to sell. And it was very difficult for me. So maybe some of the the advice that I give is more of lessons learned, things that I should have done, but I didn't. But I I do think that if you're going to start somebody up um, from from scratch, you need to give them a golden handcuff. You, You need to make that so worthwhile to them and and make them give them a carrot <laughs> for them to stay on because what may end up happening is you go through all the trouble of hiring them and training them and and all the mistakes and then two years later they leave you for another dollar an hour more yep. so you need to give them a five-year plan a 10-year plan and make sure that that carrot is always in front of them hey if you stay with me this will be worth your while and you, you got to figure out some kind of incentive program to do it, whether it's a bonus, whether it's a, a raise structure, something, and make sure they know about it well in advance and what the expectations are. Uh, and then you're you're more likely 
to hang on to them and, and avoid them leaving. And that's something that I should have done. I haven't done that. So if you try it, let me know how that works. But from the research that I've done, that is how you retain employees. But man, I'm going to tell you, um, you know, for somebody starting out, I'm, I'm probably going to tell you something you don't want to hear. And that's don't hire your first employee. <laughs> you know that and, and that's that's probably just me being jaded after being you know being 11 years and just have having some really rough employees over the years and i've had some really good ones also some of them listen to this podcast so i i don't want them to think that that i'm, I'm just downplaying everybody but um it's just really hard um and so you've got to make sure you have a plan that that works um and that they know what their future is going to look like so they don't leave after you've put all the work into them Mm -hmm. So I, I got two things to say that I totally agree with a structured plan. So they know because it, it sucks working for a company and going, when am I going to get my next raise? When, when are they going to give me my vacation time? Cause nobody likes, I shouldn't say nobody. Cause some people actually really like negotiating, uh, but nobody, I should say that most people don't like walking into the boss's office and going, all right, boss. Okay. Um, I've been working here for three years. It's time to step step up your game a little bit. There's not many employees that will do that, but more more should be doing that because a lot of bosses will. Everything's going fine. Their hand behind their back. Yeah, everything's going fine here. We're we're getting all kinds of money coming in. We're doing all kinds of jobs, not knowing that their employees are are a little bit disgruntled because they don't know when their next raise is coming or or when their next new tool or vacation or or a retirement fund contribution, anything like that is coming. So I totally agree with putting a plan in place, even offering, this is just an idea, but a certain stake in the business, small ownership. So they become an, an owner. They got to work up to that. Maybe you, you're with me for three years, I'll give you this percentage of the business. And then at the end of the year, you're going to get dividends on on how well we do. That will, that will kind of leverage them to propel their performance a little bit in my mind anyway um the other yeah, thing that's I'd, a golden handcuff definitely yeah. or, or even things like a life insurance plan that you know i'm i'm going to pay for this term life insurance plan for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, um and it's yours as long as you stay here mm -hmm. uh but if you quit this life insurance plan terminates and you know you don't get it uh you know and, and that's an inexpensive golden handcuff also things like that what you have to do and sorry yeah. for interrupting you just made no, a really that's, good point there that no, made no me that's fine I'm, I'm glad you you interrupted because i forgot my second point but i remembered it as you were you were talking there <laughs> my second point was don't hire your in first your first employee as you were saying is that comes it comes back to this subcontracting thing that i'm seeing more and more and and i'm i'm i've been a subcontractor now i want to utilize a subcontractor i'm just wondering if there's a way that this can be done by subbing through the hard times. I don't know if, if it's a possibility for someone in my position where it's just me and I don't want to invest in hiring someone, buying a new truck to put them in, if I can just sub when when I'm sort of up against the wall. Nathan, what do you think about that? So check, um, so if you hire somebody and they're actually an employee and you're subbing them out as a contractor, mm -hmm. I believe, don't quote me on this, but I think it's 80% uh, of a bill cannot be to the same employee or if you're a subcontractor. So, so if I hired you, sorry. So yeah. in Ontario, uh, if you can't have the more than 80% of your invoices going to one 
company. Okay. So technically for subbing, so you can't sub all the time. You can't have an employee or then they're technically an employee. Okay. I see what you're saying. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I didn't know about that. So what if, what yeah, if definitely you, check the laws? Yeah. What if, yeah. what if you don't so, do like, what if you don't do sheet metal and half of your work is sheet metal and you got to hire the sub to do your sheet metal work for you? Like that, that kind of leaves you in a bit of a bind, right? But he wouldn't be, or that company wouldn't be half of their invoices or 80% of their invoices wouldn't be just to you. And you'd be able to prove that, right? So uh, what they're trying to avoid is you hiring your apprentice, paying him 20 bucks an hour, and he's set up as a incorporated business and he's just billing you directly. Okay. But what if you don't hire him as an employee? Just, he's just a, a straight sub with no attachment to your company. Yeah. So he would have to make sure he's doing other work for other people. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. No. Okay. Yeah. Just, just like kind of what I'm doing with a couple of people. I'm just working with, with them sometimes, but I'm also working for other, other customers as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah like I here see. in North Carolina, um, you, it would be illegal for me to subcontract another person especially someone who doesn't, who isn't licensed in HVAC to put a system in for me, but I can sub someone out to be general labor for me. And I'm really the one putting it in. I'm the licensed contractor. Uh, and I guess in, in your case, it's, it's like licensed technicians up where you're at, but same, same thing. The licensed person is supervising the job. They're not just sitting on the, on the beach somewhere while other people slap it in. Um, so, but you, I don't think there's anything wrong with hiring day help on occasion to help you as long as you know you're there supervising the job and especially here in the united states and north carolina that's that's the law too i guess bottom line is check the laws check the labor laws on subcontractors because there is a fine line between subcontractors and employees and that line gets blurred but also in the gig economy with uber and a lot of all these other companies where it's kind of blurring that line between what is an employee what is a subcontractor mm -hmm. things are changing yeah and so part of being an owner is to keep abreast of that yeah yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Is is checking these laws, and I didn't know about that. Where can I I find that information there, Nathan, that you were discussing? Um, that'll be on the CRA website. Oh, okay. Which perfect. will make you cringe looking at all that information. So. And the CRA, um, Tim, is is the equivalent um, to the IRS, Canada here. Gotcha. Yeah. And then each state has, of course, their own laws. So here in North Carolina, it'd be the uh, NC Department of Labor. Um, but you know, you want to make sure you're compliant with state laws also. It's not just mm -hmm. federal. Okay. So let me take the conversation to this then. This is along the same lines as the subcontractor, but not as, um, not quite. I have a friend that moved out to British Columbia, Canada, and he started a, a business. And his whole idea was, I don't know how it's going. I don't know how this idea is working out for him because I haven't talked to him in a few months. But his idea was, I'm going to hire people that have their own trucks, their own cell phones, their, their own tools, and I will pay them a premium for that. So I don't have to, now I'm not in the hook for pay, buying a vehicle and paying for it, their cell phone and, and all that kind of stuff. Basically, they're kind of like a sub, but they're not. They're working for the company full time, but they have their own truck. They have their own tools. Uh, but you just pay them a premium, whatever that is, like 20% more, 25% more. Uh, Nathan, what do you think about that scenario? Well, as a 
as an owner and as a licensed guy, I'd be concerned about the after hours calls, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't control the guys <laughs> yeah. um, and to put those expectations on them, then all of a sudden six o'clock on a, the hottest day of the year, you're working until two in the morning um, because the guys just get to go home as subcontractors. Well, he's not really a sub. He's working for you. He's an employee of your company, but he's just using his own vehicle, right? And his own tools. Yeah. You're just giving him a premium, but he's still your employee. Yeah. And you're saying you still have full control over the, that uh, employee? Yeah. Yeah, full control over yeah, the employee. Yeah. He's he, the employee. He's just using his own vehicle and own tools. That's it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is his vehicle uh, marked I, with your and branded with your company? Well, may, may, maybe it can be. Yeah, maybe that's maybe, maybe that's one of the stipulations. It's just a. I I don't know if my buddy Jake, if if that's the way he was trying to build it, where these guys were driving around unmarked, or if he was putting his branding on their vehicles. I don't know, but. It was just an experiment he was trying out. And I think he had a couple of people jump on that train. So it's just the industry is changing so fast and there's different aspects in, in these, this sub, this, the, the people coming on board and using their own vehicle and own tools. These are things that are actually happening. And I just didn't know if you guys had heard of it or had thoughts on this whole thing. Tim, what do you think about that? I mean, I've seen it done also. I just think there's a lot of potential for stuff to go wrong. What if he decides, you know what, gas is getting really expensive. Instead of this pickup truck that's got everything I need, I'm going to get a Prius. And now, oh, I'm sorry, I don't carry ladders on my on my vehicle anymore. You, you know, or if he if he runs into a deer and the whole front end of it's dented up and got blood and guts all over it, and he never watches it, do you really want that representing your company? I mean, you don't have control over his vehicle. I think certain things that um, brand a company, it, it, you know, you either do one thing or you or you do it the other way. So you either have subcontractors and then they're on their own and then you know, okay, this person is, is a subcontractor and you got to make sure you, you do that legally. Or you have an employee and they drive your truck, they wear your clothes, they are trained by you, they act how you want them to act and you control over it. That middle ground is very hard to manage long term, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you guys bring up a lot of good points. It's just, it's just, it's been swirling in my head because I've had all these yeah. conversations with people that are actually doing this stuff. So I thought it would be a good uh, topic to, to chat about. So mm -hmm. maybe we should move on to, Tim, you just recently sold a business and Nathan, have you thought about selling your business or are you nowhere near that? Uh, we were approached about a year ago to sell our company. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we kind of, looked at some of those, those, uh, what's those marketable items. Uh, and it was a little bit more of an educational process for myself than I'm, I'm still very young. So I'd need a big paycheck to make that make sense. But, mm -hmm. and my company's not at that point, but it was interesting to kind of know, you know, where in our corporation is it making sense? What's working? If, uh, there's, uh, somebody looking at our profit and loss or PNL, what does that look like? Uh, how do they evaluate our, our, our company and what do we need to work on to make it very, very marketable that it's profitable mm -hmm. to sell? Uh, yeah. So seriously, no, we haven't looked at that, but uh, it was it, it was an exercise that it was very interesting to look at. Yeah, for sure. So Tim, do you maybe want to take us through some of the ups and downs of going through that 
process we don't have to spend a ton of time on it like if we'll yeah. wrap this up in 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 10 15 minutes or so but if yeah, you want to just sure. take us through a little bit of that process because i know there's going to be there's going to be some people on here that are you know maybe mid 50s getting up there to close to retirement and going you know what maybe it's time i sell the business and, and put some money in my pocket and just enjoy my life so maybe take us through a couple of right. steps there yeah and i'll preface this by saying that i didn't follow this path. Uh, selling my business came fairly quickly and it didn't come at the exact best time, but it didn't come at the worst time either. I decided to go ahead and do it. Um, but I think, you know, this is how you should approach it. It should be a decision that you make years in advance of you actually doing it. Uh, and I think early on, even when you first start your business, you should run it from day one as if you want to sell it. Um, and so, and that may be really hard concept. If you would have asked me a year before I sold, um, if I was going to sell, I would have said, no, I don't want to sell. I, I, I'm going to try to make it through and, and get it, get it to be better. And things happen, things change fast. So make sure you're running it in a way that it is sellable. And what I mean by that is that you need to start establishing systems and programs and, um, uh, sequences that take you out of the picture. And uh, again, we're talking about a business that's going to have employees. Obviously, if it's just you and the truck, you and a helper, that's not, you know, you're, that's not what I'm you're talking about. Yet, but yeah. If, yeah, you're not there yet. But once you start having a few employees, even if it's two or three technicians, you know, girl answering the phone in the office, girl or guy, sorry, I it's, <laughs> didn't mean to pigeonhole anybody there. But you, someone in the office working, doing your schedule and your bookkeeping, that's a, that's a business that's sellable. That's really what my business ended up being at the time when I sold it, even though it had been bigger in the past. So you want to run it in a way that you can step out of the picture. People don't rely on you. Things don't funnel right through you. And so that may take years to establish those changes it may even require personnel changes hey this mm -hmm. guy this technician needs to be babysat all the time i've been putting up with this for the while maybe i need to make a change and get somebody who's a little bit more autonomous mm -hmm. that's the first thing um and also you know run a business to look profitable on paper now you will probably end up paying more taxes so you know you may not you may choose to not take advantage of as many tax deductions um, that you would benefit from as as you would if you weren't selling the business. But you need to be able to show at least three consecutive solid financial years. So, um, you know, that means streamlining your, your processes, getting your costs down, maybe get to the point where your trucks are all newish, you know, get to a point that cycle where you don't have a bunch of jalopies on the road, you got fresh looking trucks, uh, you're not in a ton of debt. Um, because that debt, when you whatever money you get out of the, the, that business, that debt's going to have to get paid for somehow, um, mm -hmm. depending on how the, the, the acquisition is structured. So get to a point where your financials are good. Raise your rates uncomfortably high if you need to. Get your profits looking good because that's what people look at. Um, and you know, make sure everything's running, running smoothly. Once you get to that point, um, you've got to kind of think about your your buyer. Who's going to be a good buyer for you? Is it going to be somebody who you know is a fellow HVAC person? Maybe they instead of starting their own business up, they just want to buy a business and just have something already there. Well, that means you need to be able to step back, and that person can step in. And there's always going to be a transition period, but it's going to be fairly quick. Or will you be absorbed by a larger company? 
in that case, they're probably just going to absorb your people, your assets, your customers, and they're going to do things their way. And that was sort of the path that I took. I got absorbed by a larger company. So it really didn't matter what systems I put in place. As long as my customers were loyal enough and things were running smoothly enough that they would come along with a new business and things would run smoothly. So you maybe have to think about what kind of buyers are out there. Talk to a banker, uh, several business bankers, and let them know uh, in your area, let them know that you're interested in selling. They are the ones that have the connections to potential buyers. There are several different kinds of buyers. Another big thing is for these uh, private equity companies that come in, and they normally buy bigger bigger companies, and that's been kind of a good thing and, a, and really a bad thing in a lot of ways because they you know, there's no personal ability. They just come in there. They're just looking at numbers. And, and I've rarely seen that work out very well in my market. Um, but normally what, who you're going to, a business like mine, a small business like Nathan's probably what you're building, Gary, you're not building the biggest, you know, business in your area. You're going to have a small business with a few employees. You're going to be either absorbed by a bigger company, or you're going to just have somebody come in that just wants to run an HVAC business because they heard it's profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I would say is the, the prep work. Um, then you're going to get your business evaluated professionally. And so if you hire somebody to, to um, be like a business broker, they're going to, that's really the better path to go. They're going to take a percentage, five to 10% probably. Um, now don't fall for the ones that want to take money up front. That's a scam. Um, a, a, a real business broker is going to get their money on the back end and they won't get their money unless they sell your business for you. But be prepared to pay out five to 10% of that. But they're going to guide you through getting your business evaluated. Now, if they do it in-house, they're going to evaluate your business pretty high because they want you to use them to sell your business. Reality is going to come in when your buyer, when your potential buyer also gets his side to evaluate your business and they're going to come in lower because that's in his best interest. The truth is going to be somewhere in between. There is no finite number that quantifies how much a business is worth. There's some rules of thumb. You can take your net profits or your, your cash flow and, and multiply it by three to six. Well, that's a pretty huge number. Mm-hmm. Ultimately it's like anything else in the free market. The fair market price is something that each party who are, neither of them are under any kind of duress are benefiting and see the value of. Mm -hmm. And so a company may pay you more because they appreciate the reputation. A company may pay you less because all they care about is the customers and they know they're probably going to lose about half of them anyway. So, um, you know, there it's, it's all over the place where your where your business is going to get evaluated, but you got to know what you're willing to walk away for. And, and be realistic, be humble, but don't give it away either. And always know, and this was my leverage here is they approached me. I got approached by a broker and, and they, you know, had connections, but I didn't have to sell my business. I could have stayed in business. Yeah. I would have been stressed out and, but who isn't. Um, but I had the leverage of saying, if this doesn't work out for me, I'll just stay in business and be your competitor for until somebody else comes around that wants to pay me more. And, mm-hmm. and that's what your leverage is as a seller. Unless you're under duress, unless you've got a terminal illness or you've got some other reason, you don't have to go out of business. <laughs> you know, if you're running a, a profitable business and you should be if you're putting it out to sale, 
that's your leverage. So, so don't let them undervalue your business like that. Um, and, and so the process, once you find a, a broker and they're representing you and there's, there's paperwork to be signed, you find a potential buyer. The broker's job is to find a potential buyer for you. They already have connections. That's what they do. Your potential buyer comes along. There's usually a letter of intent. And you want to be able to at least have a phone conversation or meet this person uh, in person. Because you're going to need to get along with them. This is a long process that involves trust. And, you know, you don't want to go into it not knowing the person, not getting a good feeling about who they are. So you're going to want to meet that potential buyer early on. And then there's a letter of intent that they're going to sign that gives them the ability to see some of your financials, uh, even your tax records, you know, some pretty personal stuff. Now there's, you know, they're not allowed to disclose it to anyone else. There's, you know, that's all in the letter of intent. There's non-disclosure agreements, um, but they have a finite period of time to look at that information and make you an offer. Uh, and then you can, you know, accept that offer. You can negotiate, but that is a finite period of time. During that time, it may be in that letter of intent and that initial agreement that you're not allowed to talk to any other potential buyers. So you don't want some infinite period of time that goes for one, two, three years of them looking at your financials. It should only take about you know three to six weeks for them to know whether they're going to make you an offer or not. So don't let them tie you up where you can't talk to other buyers for any longer than that. Um, they're going to give you a, an offer. You're going to choose to accept that offer, make some negotiations. Then you go into a due diligence period where they're going to start looking at stuff a little bit more closely. There's there's more records to be looked at. They're going to look into your past, whether or not you've paid your taxes, whether or not you've been sued, whether or not you've had any problems with the governing bodies of, of your licenses, the the you know state plumbers, heating boards and that sort of thing. They're going to look into the reputation of your company. So make sure all that is good. Again, run your company like you want to sell it. So don't, you know, try to resolve conflicts with customers and, and other problems as, as early as possible. Um, and they're going to look into all that. And finally, you know, you're going to have a, a purchase agreement that one of the parties, usually the buyer is going to draft and the buyer is going to spend a lot of money to get to the point where he can buy your business. So it is in their best interest to try to make this work. Once they're interested and they're going through that process, they have to pay. Uh, they have to get their financials in order. It costs a lot of money to buy business. So they're committed. That's leverage for you. Um, they're going to put across an offer. And that offer is probably going to be kind of a low ball. Everything is negotiable. And, and you're going to want to negotiate on your side. And remember, you have the leverage where you don't have to sell this business unless you want to. And go back and forth. Get to an equitable part that works for both people. Um, and then make sure that they have their financials. You know, you know how they're going to pay for this business. You want to get most of your money up front. So don't fall for something like, okay, we're going to give you a certain percentage over the next 20 years off of what we make. Who's to say that person is going to buy your business, run it to the ground, declare bankruptcy, and you've given up your, your means of making a living for next to nothing. Because when you sell a business, you're probably also going to be signing some non-solicitation, non-competes. And so, you know, mine does not allow me to work in my market for a few years. So I've given up earning potential. I've given up the ability to start up another business in my area. Either I have to choose another line of work or I have to move. And that was fine with me. Um, but make sure it's worth your while and make sure you get your money up front. If they're not willing to work with you on that, something's wrong. So now there will always be some kind of 
uh, arrangement where you're going to not get all your money up front because they're going to hold a little bit because they're going to need you for a transition period. That's how they hold you for the transition period. But it should not it should be a small percentage of the total purchase price um, and the whole process. Just count on it being about a year. It, it doesn't seem like it should take that long to sell a business, but when you get attorneys and bankers, especially if they're financing this and they're not, they're not a cash buyer, um, sometimes they're going to use, you know, government programs, uh, small business association, uh, the SBA in the United States. So that takes time to apply for that. Then you have a whole nother, um, approval process when, when other banks get involved, they're going to look at stuff, they're going to value your business. Prepare for it take a year. And the whole time that you're running that business during that year, foot on the gas, making as much money as you can, because this is your last two raw, and you don't want to give that potential buy. You don't want to spook them. You don't want to show a bad quarter. So, you know, make get that bag <laughs> and and see through it. So if you're going to commit to do it, do it. My biggest mistake was I ran a business and it wasn't a mistake. It worked out for me very well over the years. I ran a business in a way that worked very well for my wife and my lifestyle. It allowed me some time off. We got to travel. Um, it wasn't on paper the, um, the most profitable business, but to me personally, there were other intangibles that made it very well worth my while. The problem is a buyer doesn't, isn't going to appreciate that. The buyer is asking, well, you know, I've got, I'm taking out a loan. This loan has to not only service, you know, this business has to service a loan, but it also has to pay me. Mm -hmm. Um, so you want three solid years where you're showing good profits, where you're running that business as if to sell it, but start on day one to do that. Mm -hmm. Man, that's some good information that, that was about, what a year, a year's process and about 11 or 12 minutes. So, <laughs> and a lot of gray hairs. <laughs> yeah. Is that Nathan, you said you went through the process just for educational purposes. Is that similar to what you went through just looking from the outside in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just what, uh, Tim, Tim was talking about. Uh, even though we've had growth strategy every single year, it was interesting when we walked away from it is that it was not consistent three years, um, even though I was showing growth and that, that almost devalued my, my company to what it was worth this year. Um, and so it was, that's very similar to what, what I learned from my experience as well. Um, mm -hmm. and Tim, you are hundred percent, right. You got to run your company. Like you're going to sell it. Uh, that, that's some really good advice. Yeah. That, yeah, um, so that, that same advice came up when, uh, geez, the what the e-myth uh you read that book tim and the e-myth with uh the hvac edition with ken goodrich they talked they talk about they talk about systems and running your starting your business and running it like basically you could pop it up like you could open up a division in argentina just your systems go out there and some yeah. they could just run on, on its own that they talk about yeah. the same thing, exact same thing that you talked about. And it's hard to do. I mean, the biggest change in a business happens when the owner is no longer in the field and the owner transitions out of the field and maybe either into the office or onto the golf course. And what happens at that point when the owner's not there inspecting what he inspects, expects? Um, so that is, it's huge. It's not easy to do. And, and there's a lot of lessons learned, things I would have done differently. So anyone starting out, you got to be goal driven. Um, and, and you, you can't just be kind of here and there, whatever jobs, whatever opportunities come up and you have to be goal driven. Does this opportunity match my goal? 
mm-hmm. you know, and so there's, um, and we can, I know we're wrapping up here, but there's some things that we've even talked about today where it's like, okay, well, I would like to subcontract for a larger company because I see a need there. That's great starting out, Gary. My advice to you is just make sure you're not doing that at the expense of another opportunity that could be more lucrative. Yeah. There, There's no shortage of opportunities in HVAC, especially for people like us who are good at what we do. Opportunities will fall on our lap not everyone will be worth our time yeah you know what that's a great that's a great quote to end this off on so guys thank you very much like we could talk another three four hours on this topic and i mean we can't fit everything in in one hour so uh tim awesome stuff nathan thank you very much and um thank you guys for for the time tonight yeah thanks for having us welcome thanks for having us All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Nathan. And thank you, Jamie, for the brief short time we had you. Unfortunately, it didn't work out on your end because of your your signal and your reception. Now, listen, that was a really good conversation, guys. Just kind of very candid and open and really getting down to the meat and potatoes of business ownership from start to finish. And I really enjoyed that conversation. Hope you guys took away from it. And thank you, boys, once again, and thank you to the Master Group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.